And when he called to say he wouldn't be here tonight, they were waiting on um, uh, IMSA to come get her up. She couldn't couldn't get up out of the floor, and they couldn't get into her to do that. And um, Helen fell just uh, earlier today, and so she's staying home tonight, and Monica's staying with her, so she can <laughs> so she can stay there. I had to go and. Um, really wasn't I had to but um, some of you might know uh, Mike Mullings uh, he was a old friend of mine that uh, founded the Oklahoma Veterans Memorial at the Capitol and his brother Ken is getting ready to p- join him now in heaven and pass through the gates so I went out to visit with Ken just a little bit before I came here so we got some people that are in need of prayer quite obviously a lot of people are are that way. Uh, we've got, um, uh, Sandra said she's had more people call for prayer and, and than any time she can ever remember. And there is a, a young lady of 82 named Lane who is a sister of a friend of Trendy Bible Church. That when we met each other in Arkansas youth camps and places like that, and she's taking care of her husband who has Alzheimer's and she's trying to figure out just what to do and how to handle that situation. So they've requested prayer as well. And I think I'm leaving somebody out. I'm almost sure I am. But uh, continue just to lift up everybody in uh, prayer. We've uh, we've got some uh, good opportunities. The team that went to Tanzania uh, has returned. They had a great trip. They had... Uh, wonderful ministry there and uh, they are back on uh, the homeland soil and they're they're glad to be back of course and said it just went uh, wonderful so thanks for your prayers there um, pastor solos finished up with his uh, various uh, workshops that are going on and there is a bible distribution going on and so it's almost done so pray that all that comes together completely so things are progressing in spite of the attempts of the the evil one to keep us from doing anything for our Lord so it is amazing to watch what he still accomplishes in the middle of a time of war but let's uh we're going to today if you would open your Bibles to Exodus 26 verse 37 Exodus 26 and verse 37 we'll continue our study of the tabernacle Every time I go through this, it's, it becomes more and more fascinating. And uh, I know sometimes people just, uh, they don't want to spend the time uh, looking for connections. Because if you let Scripture interpret itself, you keep looking for how it's going to interpret something. And you do that by tracking down words in the original languages and you follow them along. And it's amazing what you can find out whenever you do that because it'll explain the typology, I believe, quite well, quite adequately, and quite uh, honestly. So that's part of what we're doing. Chapter 37, we're going to see the bronze altar and it just kind of almost takes us to another level of what what is going on and the, the amazing plan of the Lord. Now, in Exodus 26:36, that's the entrance to the tent of the meeting. That's going to be on the outside. We've already seen the veil. We looked at that last week. That separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And the entrance into the tent is what takes us into the area where the table of showbread is, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. 
Now, before we begin, we're going to take a moment for prayer, as is our custom. Be sure we get ready to study the Word of God. It's got some beautiful stuff in it, and it's uh, if you just blow through this reading through the Bible just because you think you should, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. But when you stop and take a closer look, it's fascinating as to what we find here, and it's just a beautiful picture of His plan. So let's take this time to prepare to study the Word. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day, for your goodness, for your grace. It is the day that you have made, and in it we can rejoice and be glad. We pray for those that are sick. We do pray for healing. But Father, we pray if you choose not to heal them, that you would indeed sustain them through the difficult times. We know that in this world we have trouble, and it comes in a whole lot of different forms. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to draw on the resources of our souls that you have placed in there through your word, and I pray we'll be able to face whatever comes our way. We give you the praise and look forward to seeing what your word has to tell us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 26, 36, I'm going to read these two verses. It says, you shall manufacture a screen for the doorway. Uh, this is used for uh, interesting. It's a screen. It's a see-through. It's used for the covering over a well. It's used for the cloud. They covered the Jews during the day. It's an interesting word here, and that's this front area, this screen that it is talking about. It says, you shall manufacture a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted white linen the work of an embroider. So we don't know, again, it's kind of like the veil, we don't know exactly how they put all this together. What we do know is the components that went into it, but the designs themselves, we don't really know. On the veil itself, there were cherubim that were embroidered into it. On this area, there were no cherubim embroidered onto the screen on the entrance of the tabernacle. And it says, And you shall make five pillars. This is the same word we saw back in, in verse 32 that's used for these upright um, uh, wooden that here overlaid with gold. These are wood and they're overlaid with bronze. And it says five pillars of acacia for the screen, actually, and overlay them with gold. I goofed up there. They're hooks of gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. So as we look at these, this is wood overlaid with gold. That's hypostatic union on the veil. And they're in sockets of silver. Silver denotes redemption. So the Lord, when he came to earth, accomplished the redemption that would get us into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room of God. When we come out here, we see how this happened because this is the hypostatic union, wood overlaid with gold set in bronze sockets. Bronze is a picture of of judgment. So the Lord himself underwent judgment that grants us entry into the holy place and that's just a beautiful picture of salvation. So the screen represents Jesus Christ through whom we enter the grace of life. We go from grace on the outside from if if this picture extended farther, we would find the uh, bronze laver located uh, 
over in this area, and then just farther over would be the bronze altar. We'll see it tonight before we before we go. But see, the blue is a picture of his origin, the purple his royalty, the red his work, and the white is his righteousness. So whenever it picks these four colors, they all have symbolism in them. Now the screen lacks the motive of cherubim, which could indicate angelic salvation is no longer available. Uh, I believe the word shows and has the evidence that angels fell and they were offered salvation. That's just the way God does things. He is full of grace. That's who he is. And it seems like he would give them an opportunity to get out of their fallen condition just like he did with man. But there's no cherubim here. See, the cherubim on that veil on the inside, there are coverings that go over the top of the structure itself, cherubim embroidered on them, cherubim in the Holy of Holies, where we find their being in the presence of angels. I read Revelation 4 and 5 when John was caught up into heaven and he heard the myriads and myriads of angels singing. Uh, that's going to be great, by the way. 40 million voices. Uh, blended together. It's interesting about music and songs and how they come together because uh, have you ever noticed there's some songs that no matter how bad your voice is you can sing along with them and it seems like it just blends in and if you join a group of 30 or 40,000 I did one time at a promise keepers meeting 40,000 men singing holy 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 a cappella, and it was amazing I mean it'd give you chills to think about and you could join in whatever part of the harmony you felt comfortable with and nobody thought boy I wish he'd shut up it just didn't didn't work that way and so when we get up there surrounded by the cherubim they will be singing these are all surrounded by cherubim as well intense interest in this part of scripture but no cherubim here on the doorway kind of makes you wonder if if they were offered salvation which I think they were that it was cut off and that makes sense the Lord cuts off opportunities for salvation we have a fixed amount of time that is allotted to every human being in which to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is from birth to physical death Okay, there's a cutoff point. It would make sense that if he did offer it to angels, which the evidence indicates he did, Colossians the first chapter primarily, and it indicates that he did, that that he would have a cutoff point. And I think uh, when you study all the data, the only reasonable one is when he made Adam and Eve, angels couldn't get saved anymore. They're locked into their choice for, for eternity. Now, that's a whole nother, it's all in that little book back there if you want to pursue that any farther, but that's as far as we'll go tonight. Now, the third point where we left off is entry through the screen denotes that the believer seeks refuge in God and seeks protection. Now, Hebrews 6.18, in the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set in front of us. Now, it isn't all this, especially the, the Holy of Holies, isn't that uh, hope? I mean, that, that's eternity. That's what we're looking at. Christ in eternity and us joining Him. So... He says, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, a hope sure and steadfast, 
and one which enters within the veil. See, it didn't just make that up. Guess what? Here's where the typology is explained in here. Where Jesus entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So that's out of Hebrews chapter 6. Now in Psalm chapter 5, he says, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them exult for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in thee. For it is you who do bless the righteous man, O Lord, and surround him with favor as with a shield. See, he's come through this entryway inside of this veil, and what do we have in here? We have the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies, and we have ways to understand him in the, the tabernacle proper, uh, proper. And see, this is a tent. Why do people go into tents? Well, for refuge. Refuge from the elements, refuge from the weather. It's talking about just that. Whenever we go in and we partake of the bread that came down out of heaven, we're taking refuge in the word. Whenever we let the light of the world light our path, we are taking refuge in him to show us which direction he wants us to go. Whenever we go to the altar of incense and we pray, we know that he hears because he is indeed, he's just on the other side of the veil. He is indeed near. See the, the pictures that actually hopefully start to pop out for you as you see more and more of these connections of the tabernacle portraying the plan of God. Psalm 91.1 He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Now you, you might, I know it's kind of hard to say, remember this one when we're covering so many verses, but when we get into the bronze altar, and it starts talking about how high it is, and then it starts talking about the grating that's put in there. I'm going to refer you back to just what this is saying because there, there is a, a netting type of thing, a grate that's put in on which the sacrifices were, were burned and that netting is frequently used to capture prey. That's what the devil wanted to do with us. We were all ensnared, weren't we? We were trapped in our sins and all that and the Lord went in there and cleaned it out. He's the one that paid the price to do that. Now the elaborate embroidery denotes the attention God, God pays to the believer in time. And that's Psalm 139. We saw that uh, last week when we were together. God pays attention to us. The embroidery. Now I've watched people do that. I've enjoyed the embroidery that uh, I have, I've been given. I got some uh, kenta cloth while I was in uh, Ghana. And had quite an elaborate, um, I don't even know what you call it. It's made for graduations and it's one of those sashes. Runs all the way around the neck and to the floor. And it's got my name emblazoned on it and with the, with the embroidery. Kenta cloth is some of the finest weaving that you can find anywhere in the world. And, and uh, talk about it's a prized possession that I have that that thing was uh, made for me to to do that and I look at that and I go that took a lot of time 
for somebody to weave this sash is about six feet long and about six to eight inches wide and to be able to do that with such precision. So it says embroidery and it's talking about the work of a skillful, skillful worker. Now the five pillars denote our destiny in the plan of grace. It's resurrection via Jesus Christ. Okay, They're caused to stand upright like the other pillars. Jesus Christ, wood overlaid with gold. And how do we get in there? By grace, via Jesus Christ in hypostatic union. These are set in bronze. So how do we get, how do we get into this place of refuge? It's all by the grace of Jesus Christ that he was judged for us in our place. The wood overlaid with gold, the hypostatic union that is there, the pillars, set in bronze. That's Jesus Christ being judged. The veil on the outside of it gives a glimpse into the holy place itself, but you still have to enter in by the door. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 26 Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and you can connect that real easily with the feast of Israel. Because in the spring, you had the feast of the Passover, you had the feast of unleavened bread, and you had the feast of first fruits. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he's abolished all rule and authority and power. Because he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So here is our destiny. Five pillars denotes grace. Here's our destiny. Here is our entry into the plan of grace. The five pillars. Lord Jesus Christ displaying grace, providing an opening by grace to get in there, having been judged for us. So it's by faith in his judgment in our place that we get into this place we know as heaven. And we get into also holy of the holy place into the Christian life. Some people try to live the Christian life without ever going through the entrance hanging. They're trying to copy it, thinking that just by being good they'll be able to get into heaven. Nobody's that good. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God except one. Well nobody's that good to get into heaven without the grace of Jesus Christ. The gold hooks represent support as the security of the believer because this entrance hanging is hooked to gold hooks. Gold is deity. So deity stands behind your security. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are assured of salvation. John 10, verse 27 to 30, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's one of the most comforting verses to me that, that there is in the scripture. 
And what about the next one? My Father, who has given them to me, all who would believe in me, he has given to me, is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now see, that's, that's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? This guy named Jesus either is who he says he is or he's, he's off his rocker. That's all you can say about it. He is claiming to be God. Now the sockets of bronze, five of them, denote grace to us because of the judgment poured out on Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin, sinless, was made to be sin, was imputed to him so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when we put our faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he did for us, he bore our judgment. So we no longer have any judgment. He is called the intercessor, one of his titles, one of his many titles. He's called the mediator between God and man because a mediator can touch both sides. He can touch God, he can touch man because he's both at the same time. He is literally means the one in the middle. Moses was the type of Jesus Christ because he is called a mediator. And who was he? He's the one that went up to the mountain and talked to God and came back and told mankind. He was a picture there of Jesus Christ as the mediator. Now the tent should remind believers this life is transitory. And we're just sojourners awaiting our heavenly home. You know, one of the greatest passages... <clears throat> I talk about greatest passages, and there's so many of them. <laughs> there's 31,189 verses in the Bible, and I don't know exactly how many of them talk about uh, us as sojourners. I don't know. You know, we're just sojourners awaiting our heavenly home. Hebrews 11:9. you start thinking about how many really great verses are, are there? I don't have a number, but look at this one. By faith Abraham, <clears throat> when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He knew he was just passing through. Lived as an alien, a sojourner. If you study the word sojourner in the Old Testament, it's the same word as alien in the New Testament. They just, it's the same concept. We're just passing through this place. Our life is transitory. Think about in James, it says we're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then passes away. We're just like a wisp of smoke coming off of a charcoal cooker. It's just there and it's gone out into the wind. That's in, When you compare the length of our life, no matter how long we live, you could even look at Adam and Methuselah and all, all those really old people that were there. They're just a vapor in the wind. That's all any of us are when you compare it to eternity. Because eternity has no beginning or end. None whatsoever. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. 
For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will bring you to myself. I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Leave it up to Thomas. There's no other means of salvation whatsoever. And here you have a perfect picture of it in the front entrance into the tabernacle itself. Christ, as the door, is the only way to enter. You've got to go through the door. There's one means of entry into this tent. Right there on the front. Through who? Jesus Christ, wood overlaid with gold. Okay, with the... uh, tapestry that's on the front of it the blue purple scarlet blue is his origin purple is his royalty scarlet is his sacrifice and white is his righteousness and you walk through there because he was judged for us the five bronze uh, pedestals that they were set on John chapter 10 truly truly I say to you that he who does not enter by a door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way he's a thief and a robber if someone were to go through, <clears throat> try to go through the side walls, I'd like to see him try that. Can you imagine? You have all these things, and what do we calculate? The wood itself would weigh 1,000 to 1,400 pounds of acacia wood based on the density and the cubic feet that it was. Each one of those pillars, that's a bunch of weight, to say the least. When you put it in place... With the desert winds that could blow through there, you better be sure you put it according to the instructions God gave you gave you on the mountain because you don't want it to fall on anybody. There's no getting up from that. So <clears throat> here it is, and try to go in another way. There's no way to get in there from another way unless you want to try to go on the top and start cutting your way through it. Now, <clears throat> he says, He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, if you've walked through this door here, you have just received responsibility. It's not just pastors who are shepherds. That's what the word pastor means is the shepherd. If you've entered by the door, you've got a responsibility to those around you. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own, he goes before them. And the sheep know him because they know his voice. And a stranger they will simply not follow, but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus told to them, but they didn't understand what those things were which he'd been saying to them. And Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. Now, in the ancient world, even in the modern world, the sheepfold was usually circular, three or four feet tall, had one door, one means of entry, and the shepherd laid across the door. Anything that wanted to get in through there was going to have to go through the shepherd in order to do it. And that's the picture of the shepherd. Those allotted to your charge are those in your sheepfold that you have influence over to some degree. 
And so that's what we try to do is care for them and shepherd them. And sometimes sheep are a little unruly. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. But sometimes we are all a little unruly, which requires great patience and instruction. That's what uh, letters to the shepherds in 2 Timothy tells us about. Now, <clears throat> that is the veil, the entrance into the holy place, or the uh, uh, ta- the hanging is what they call it, quite, or the screen. Several different words are used there. Now we move to Exodus 27. <clears throat> We're going to see the bronze altar in this particular chapter. We're going to see the outer court, how it is all set up, how it is measured out, what it is designed to do, because, again, very specific instructions as to how they're supposed to set these things up. And then we're going to see the oil for the lampstand, special mixture that goes into that oil. And oil is a uh, picture of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is dry is the one that is illuminating the light of the world. Father plans it. Son executes it, Holy Spirit reveals it. That's the basic roles of the Trinity as, uh, as we go through life. Now Exodus 27.1 says, And you shall make, this is our word, manufacture again, asah, to make something out of something, the altar of acacia wood. Now acacia wood we've seen multiple times, it's used to describe the humanity of Jesus Christ. It says five cubits long. Now this thing is going to be seven and a half feet. It's going to be seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. And that's kind of a rendition of it. But the point is, it's, it's five. Five cubits long, five cubits wide. So if we're looking for things to what is the symbolism of what, we take the number five. We go from there. We take the next number five. And it says the altar shall be square, but its height shall be three cubits. Now, five is a picture of grace, which we've already dealt with. Okay, And three is a picture of the Trinity. So knowing that going in, we're able to kind of think through some of these things. What is it trying to, what does it portray? And again, not that everybody understood what it was immediately. But as the plan of God is revealed, when God put something together like this, he revealed it so it would be useful for hundreds of years, not out of date in two years, like all the software we get on our computers anymore, all the other stuff. <clears throat> you know, that became an important part of engineering, planned obsolescence. Why? We want it to wear out, so you have to buy something else. It's all a big marketing ploy. So they figured out how to do it. It's amazing to me how a battery in a car can go out a month after the warranty's over. You ever notice that? It could, I mean, absolutely do that because they know whenever they put this on the inside and then they add the sulfuric acid to it and when they do, they know how long it's going to last. They've been testing these things for almost 100 years now. So they, they know how, how long it's going to last, how much acid to put in and what to do with it. So anyway, <clears throat> whenever we find this though, God, God made this to last a long time, didn't he? This, this tabernacle lasted a long time. In fact, I was thinking about that earlier today. 
You know those four coverings that go up over the top of it? Numbers chapter 4 tells us how they take the coverings down and what they wrap in each covering because they've got different things that they'll wrap in a covering in order to transport them through the desert whenever they whenever they move. And I thought, did those coverings ever wear out? Nowhere did I ever see anywhere about it talking about them replacing those things. And they had the tabernacle. They had they had it for three or four hundred years. Now we know for forty years in the desert their clothes didn't wear out. That's one of those little miracles that uh, people don't even think about. I, I've got too many clothes, so I don't wear out clothes. And I've got stuff that 20 years, I've got a suit that I bought in college. So that sucker is 50 years old. And if I lose about 10 more pounds, I'll be able to get back in it again. And it's still a very nice looking suit. And so <clears throat> this, uh, we... But for that was that's unusual. But I wasn't wearing it every day either. See, these people are wearing these clothes every day. They're changing them. They're washing them. They're doing everything that they got to do, and they don't wear out for 40 years. I think we wash our clothes so much why they wear out anyway, because they don't want you. They don't want these fashion plates see to last very long, because they've got another one coming out with the fall preview. So anyway. The grace of the Father met the grace of the humanity of Jesus Christ to provide salvation. Five by five. See here? Five by five. Grace, the Father, the humanity of Jesus Christ. It is wood that that we have here. And we're going to see in a second what it's overlaid with. It's not overlaid with gold at all. But it is, it is indeed acacia wood. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we through him might become rich. He took his grace in his humanity, added it to the Father's grace, and the result is he bore our sins in his body on a tree. That's the result. All three members of the Trinity were in agreement. That's this Three cubits high. That's going to make it four and a half feet high. That's going to make it about neck high on me. See? So that's about how tall this this thing was. Seven and a half feet. Uh, add another foot on each side of me. And you got some idea of it. It's, it's a big altar. It's supposed to be able to handle a bull. So it's it's a good sized uh, <clears throat> it's a good sized cooker to say the least. And being squared, it notes that the gospel is the same in every dispensation because you get the number four, and the number four starts looking at universal principles. What do we got? Four dispensations. What do we have? Four priesthood changes, so we have four dispensations. Does the gospel change? No. Revelation 14.6 says it's an eternal gospel. When the Lord laid it out, it became eternal, with eternal ramifications to it. <coughs> so this eternal, was it, was it the same to Abraham? Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him as righteousness. Same thing as it is to us. By grace we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. Same thing. So the gospel is the same. It's all about faith and Yeshua HaMashiach. 
That's who it denotes. It's, it does, and it it uh, does not mean that there are four equal parts to the gospel. Now, there is actually a church called Foursquare Church that believe there are four different parts to being saved. They've put these things together, one of which is faith, one is baptism, and I'm not sure about the other two, but they have added things like the Catholics have sacraments that you have to perform in order to be saved. And this group only has four. There used to be one of these churches over on Meridian, about 29th or somewhere. <coughs> somewhere in there. <coughs> now, in verse 2, <coughs> you're going to get a description of the horns. And again, we don't know exactly what this looked like. If you Google bronze altar and you pull up images, you're going to get a wide array of stuff. And part of it, uh, I look at it and go, that came from mistranslations. They didn't know what to do with something. Other parts, they just uh, <clears throat> added way too much. But what we do know is that it's square. We do know that there are horns attached. And this word for horn is the word karen, Q-E-R-E-N, used 76 times. And the first usage of it, part of why I appreciate Genesis, because it sets a standard for us when it comes to words. It is used there to say the ram was caught in the thicket by its horns. That's at the sacrifice of Isaac when he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac and God stopped him and they looked over there and there was a ram caught in the thicket that was caught by his horns. In Joshua 6.5 it is used to describe the horn that they blow on that is a call to battle. It's a call to assembly. It denotes power. Horns denote power because if you look at an animal and you look at a ram, where, where does its power come from? It comes from those horns. It's its means of protection. It's its means of offense and defense both. So you look at that and it has to do with power. It says you shall manufacture its horns, which is power, on its four corners. Corners is pina. P-I-N-N-A-H, used 29 times, and this is the first use, and this is just what it means. Come together in a 90-degree in a corner to make a, a corner out of something. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. So here is this picture of putting these together. This is supposed to look like it comes out of one piece, and the horns could easily have been done out of the acacia wood and not the uh, ram's horns that were there but is made to look like a ram's horn <clears throat> and you shall overlay it with bronze and we've seen this multiple times it's the puel used here totally overlay it with bronze so this whole unit inside and out was totally covered with bronze so it was supposed to be wood okay totally covered with bronze now that tells us something all by itself. Humanity of Christ is what was judged totally and completely. He who knew no sin, not his deity. See, his deity it didn't judge itself. Deity judged humanity to find whether or not Jesus' humanity was worthy to be the sacrifice. And so that's what this picture is of wood overlaid with bronze. 
Now, <clears throat> horns represent power. So some will say, well, where did that come from? We'll just pick a couple of verses. 1 Samuel 2.1 Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Her horn is her power she's talking about and exalts in the Lord. Any power she has is from him. Hannah realized, realized that. 1 Samuel 2.10 Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Anointed is Yeshua. He will exalt the what? Power of his anointed. And exalt means to to lift up. Now, what would we what would we do with that? I I would end up in Hebrews one and two, where the Lord was made for a little while lower than the angels, but now He's accomplished so much more, and now He is higher than the angels. That's His little power as a human being exalted as as the God Man seated on the throne. So it's a, it's a picture of the exaltation and the increase of Christ's power. When you remember when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, that's in the Great Commission. And I, I, I love that because all of his disciples ever did was argue about who was the greatest, who's going to be a leader, who's going to be in charge. And he said, okay, guys, listen to this. All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. And then he starts telling them what they need to do. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The horn, picture of power. Judgment, offering the salvation. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I have a t-shirt with that on the back. Love that shirt. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, who believes to the Jew first, also to the, to the Greek. Psalm 18, verse 1, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Where do you think Paul got that in Romans 1? Probably out of one of these psalms where David is talking about the power of salvation comes from the Lord. Didn't come from, from him or his own strength even though he could bend a bow of bronze. My stronghold, I will call upon the Lord... Who is worthy to be praised? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like somebody ought to take that and make it a song. <laughs> Actually, it came from a song. Out of Psalm 18, verse 3. And he says, And I am saved from my enemies. I heard some people one time, that, uh, sadly, they thought they knew it all. And we were singing... Uh, uh, did a, did a song that was done based on Isaiah chapter 53. And I heard somebody say, well, I wish they'd quit singing all that, all that mess. 
because I wish they'd sing something biblical. <laughs> and I, you know, and I was thinking, and you know it all, huh? <laughs> you, you need to read a little more of what the book has to say, and then you wouldn't be making statements like that. The only beginning of true power <coughs> in this life. You might be the president of whatever. <coughs> That's not real power. The only beginning of true power is from the gospel. <coughs> not any worldly viewpoint systems of thought. Knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies. Being of one piece with the altar signifies that a death has to take place to offer this power. A ram has to be sacrificed. So see, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. Bronze portrays judgment on the sacrifice, specifically the humanity of Yeshua. That is the Hebrew word for salvation. Ha is the word the. It comes into the English. Mashiach is Messiah. Yeshua the Messiah. The horns were used to tie down the sacrifices. From Psalm 118. See it's, it's interesting isn't it? The sacrifice has got to be tied down. Was Jesus nailed to a cross? He was nailed to the cross. He was tied down. Psalm 118.22 The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now any of these sound familiar? This is out of a Davidic psalm. Psalm 118. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and they, what were they singing? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. They were singing Psalm 118. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords, to the horns of the altar. Isn't it amazing how people read the Bible and they stop where they want to? Reading. Isn't it amazing how they sing songs and stop where they want to? You are my God and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. So those horns were used to tie down the sacrifice. As Christ was tied, in a sense, to the plan of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to at all cost, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made. In the likeness of men. Being found as appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Called by many the, most, the worst form of capital punishment ever devised by man. 
Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is such a beautiful passage. Every knee should bow. Romans 14.11 changes tense and says, The name of Jesus every knee will bow. And that becomes prophetic. It moves in there from a subjunctive to a future tense. One of these days, every knee will bow. But for some, it will be too late. It doesn't mean everybody will be saved. It's not universal salvation. Every person is going to recognize who Yeshua HaMashiach really is. The horns on the four corners denote that from any direction man may come, any way that they approach this altar, the power of the gospel is the same. From any direction. Hebrew, Isaiah 11, 2. I find it's interesting the way that these words are used. And if you just look at them, they help you understand these things. He will lift up a standard for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel. And he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. No matter what direction you come to this altar, you can come and be saved. Receive the power of God for salvation. That's what it says. On that little bronze altar there. Isn't that neat? I mean, to me, this is so neat to look into this and see the symbolism that just goes into this altar. And if we're just blowing through the Bible, we go, that's pretty neat. And the next thing we do is go, I bet that's heavy. Yeah. You're right, it's heavy. You got that part right. And it's probably valuable because brass still is pretty important. At one time it was more valuable than gold in the ancient world because they had so much gold floating around. So the bronze went up. And here it is. From the four corners of the earth, no matter which direction you come, because this is set in the outer court. Now we'll see that a little later. In fact, we can probably see it now, even though it'll take me a while to get back there too, one of the slides that's got it in there. That's not it. Outer court. Right out here. You can see the the hangings that go all the way around, the pedestals that are set up and connected. This is called the outer court. The tent or tabernacle, tent of the meeting, it's going to be called here pretty soon. And entering in through these five pillars, wood overlaid with gold, set in bronze, the hypostatic union going through judgment, the entrance hanging that you could see through, and from any direction that you came, because right over in here is the bronze altar. From any direction you come, you can anybody could be saved. In verse 27.3, this talks about utensils. And it says, uh, this one I was telling Helen about it before, uh, before I left tonight. In verse 3, it says, And you shall manufacture its pails for removing its ashes. Now, as you look at that, that grate on there, there's a network that we'll talk about, talk about in the next verse, verse 4. 
But here on this on the this grate, it says you shall have pails because you got to get the ashes of the offerings out of there because it would eventually fill up. And the word ashes, interestingly enough, is dashan. Now dashan literally means to be fat. Fat. And so, as I told Helen, I must be careful to pronounce this properly. These are fat ashes. I don't want to make a mistake. (laughs) These are ashes soaked with fat from the sacrifices. Fat animals were considered the best sacrifices according to Psalm 20 and verse 3. So it is a pail for removing its fat ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. Look at all that list of stuff you find in your kitchen drawer. Almost. You shall manufacture all its utensils of bronze. That tells us they all have something to do with judgment. With judgment. So... The fat ashes were to be covered with a purple cloth. It just goes on. Numbers chapter 4 says, Then they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall also put on it all its utensils by which they serve in connection with it, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread a couple a cover of porpoise skin over it and insert its poles. Now that that thing is going to have poles that go through it so they can pick it up and carry it. And again, it's gonna be it's gonna be heavy. Now <clears throat> they were to be covered up with a purple cloth. Well let's see, what's purple? Royalty. Okay, see see what's going on here? Everything, everywhere the Lord says do it this way, there's a reason for it. Okay, he is exalted. He is the great high priest on heaven's throne, according to the order of Melchizedek. Purple is a picture of a priesthood. So his priesthood was gained by what? Perfect sacrifice. Did he have the prosperity? Indeed, he had prosperity more than any human being had ever had. Because he was, and it wasn't in a physical sense, son of man didn't have a place to lay his head. But he had everything he absolutely needed He said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about to his disciples. I have my Father's word, and that's all I need. Now, this denotes the prosperity that came to him as a result of his sacrifice. In Isaiah chapter 53, beautiful, beautiful chapter. I'm going to read it, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Putting him to grief. He's talking about the suffering servant. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge the righteous one. My servant will justify the many. Justifies to declare righteous. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. 
I will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. That's the passage in Philippians 2 we just read. Humbled himself even to death on a cross. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Isn't that a beautiful passage? He had prosperity as a human more than anyone ever could. And he said, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to give myself away. He came to earth to die. He knew it. He came to earth to die and to die as a sacrifice. That's a powerful statement of the plan of God and Jesus' compliance with that. We're going to quit here for tonight. Um, there's more to say about the uh, ashes and the different things and, and what things were used for and how they come together. And you just It's not too hard to figure out. What do they do with the forks? The forks they stick the sacrifice, right? Which Jesus pierced for our transgressions. I mean, it's all it, this stuff just fits together like a glove. Once you start seeing it, you start going, this is really neat. Only God could do something like this. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful, we're blessed, we're honored, we're privileged to be part, called a part of your family, to be your kids. And Father, we thank you so very much for it. So, Father, we pray that you would indeed bless us with this knowledge that we have, not in a way to be arrogant about it, but, Father, to be humbled by it. Because the more we know about you and the more we exalt you, the more humble we become. Let it be that way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.